Um, we are going to be in uh, Luke chapter <clears throat> 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2 this morning. As we have been in a series looking at the hope we needed, um, I want to step into the Christmas story this morning, but not um, in, in the middle of it, uh, because the Christmas story began um, with a couple of, of, of scenes highlighted that I really want to call attention to this morning. One we're going to specifically read out of Luke 2. One we're going to kind of reach back and grab and, and mention out of Luke chapter 1. But um, I don't know about you, but a lot of the Christmas season, especially when you think back to your younger years, is a lot about anticipation, the waiting, right? Um, remembering what it's like to wait on Christmas Day to get here for everything that you have wanted for so long. Um, a couple weeks ago, we kind of had a little fun warm-up. We, we played some, some Christmas voices from movies and, and kind of had a little bit of a game with it. Next Sunday, I want you to come in ready. I got, I got a little fun starter um, before the message next Sunday. I have been looking back in, in some spare time I've had this week, uh, spare time being, you know, stoplights, um, waiting rooms, and where we all catch up on our phone work. The bathroom. Um, but let's just kind of push that to the side. But in, in those spare moments, I've been looking at, been looking back at um, some of the some of the big toys that I remember wanting and asking for as I grew up. So I've been covering a lot of decades. I've been seeing stuff that has made me miss my childhood. And some of the stuff I'm like, did did we actually think that was fun? Um, I, I saw something. If you bought presents for kids somewhere in the '80s, or you or you were a kid in the '80s, I saw this thing pop up. The image of it, and it's one of those things that I haven't thought of for years, but it kind of grabbed like my mind and my heart. Teddy Ruxpin. Was Teddy Ruxpin? Is that you said? Remember that? I forgot that existed. Like when you move past certain Christmas toys, you're just you're in another world now. And I saw that. I was like, oh, we're gonna have fun with this. This is gonna be a fun game, okay? But my kids, they, they still very much anticipate Christmas. They're waiting, waiting, waiting. But for me, it's a lot different. For me, I, I'm looking at my house right now and I'm seeing something that's out as decorations. And I'm honestly wondering, like, did Wendy just put that out or, or did we never put that up from last year? Because Christmas seems like it was three weeks ago. Does anybody kind of feel like that? Like you just felt you just got done with one and now we're doing another? Um, the Christmas story as it begins, uh, when we think of the Christmas story, we're, we're, we're kind of isolating down to uh, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, the innkeeper, the manger, the stable, that, that area. And we think that this is newness. This is a new thing God is doing, and it is in some sense. But it's also a continuation of a beautiful story that God has written throughout humanity. It's, it's a continuation of his work. And, and to show that, Luke, who is a doctor, he has a lot of medical training, he's very detailed-oriented. When, when you see Luke really dive into details of the story, this is really for an inspired, intended purpose. And, and there's going to be some very specific details that Luke talks about with some folks to really show where they were in life and a little bit of who they were. And, and these are some older folks. And, and really, their faithfulness and their presence here at this point of the story really reminds us that, that this is not just a new idea that God had, but this is a continuation of all that God has done, is doing, and will do. And as you hear this this morning, what I really hope you're hearing this um, in, in a very real sense is, is that everything in my life up to this point, everything that is happening now, happening now, and as I look to the future, there is a work of God that has been going on, is going on, and will go on in my life that he is in control over, that he has a plan for, and that I am very much on his mind about. 
So as we dive into this, um, we're, we're going to start getting some of the details. But before I start in, in, in chapter 2, I want to I talk to you about how really the Christmas story begins. Um, the Bible talks about the Christmas story really beginning, not just with Jesus, but with his forerunner, the one that came before him. We talked about him a, a few weeks ago, John the Baptist, that was there and really was, was called to this earth to be the voice of, of preparing people, preparing hearts to be able to receive the message that Jesus was there to deliver. And his job existed because God had, had willed that and he had an intended purpose for him. But, but his parents um, were, were much more surprised at his beginning and even at his call to do what he was there to do. Um, it, it's funny, um, his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, if you think back to the Old Testament, they, in a very funny way to me, really seem to mirror Abraham and Sarah. Um, as God began his created family, the Israelites, within the call to Abraham, we see it reflected again in Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were like Abraham and Sarah. They were much older than you would expect to start a family. They had no kids. Their prayer was to have a child. They wanted to have a, a child to be able to raise and celebrate and do all this stuff with because for Sarah, it was, it was tough because women were viewed as something um, being wrong with them or them being sinful in some way if they weren't having kids. For Abraham, it was, it was about lineage. It was about passing on a blessing. It was about having a, generations come behind you. And, and it's, it's funny because in this scenario, Zechariah was, was a priest and he, he left Elizabeth and he went to serve at the temple. He went through the whole process of preparing himself to be able to go. And, and by, by drawing lots, he was selected to go into a deeper area of worship, into the presence of God. And, and while there, God sent Gabriel a specific angel that God wills to go places and to bring his message. He sent Gabriel to show up to speak to Zechariah face to face. Now, this man wasn't just a good guy. The Bible talks about how righteous and devout he was, but he wasn't just that. He was, he was much more than that. I would argue that he might be the best husband around because he was face to face with an angel, an easy moment to be honest and truthful. He was way away from his wife. In fact, he came out of the interaction with, with the angel not being able to speak. So he couldn't, even, he couldn't even confess what he said about her. And quite honestly, these were older folks. And he started talking about how old they were to the angel. And before he talked about how old his wife was, he just said, well, she is well up in years. Like, that's a spiritually solid husband right there. Because most of us guys... We would have taken the opportunity to be like, well, God, you know how old she is. I mean, we'd have taken the chance to get some shots in. This was a spiritual man. But because he actually doubted, really, that God could do it, just as a sign of God's power, he, he said, Zechariah, you won't be able to speak um, when you come out of this room until your son is born. Because God was wanting to prove to them in specific ways that he was working specifically. And sure enough, he leaves that room, and it's like he's playing charades. He's literally doing hand motions, trying to explain to people why he was in there so long. And for the rest of the pregnancy, he couldn't speak. And at the birth of John the Baptist, God opened back his mouth just to remind him, yes, this is me working. God will send plenty of reminders if we're really aware, if we're really seeking him. He'll send plenty of reminders and plenty of signs that he is, in fact, working in our lives. So that's the beginning of the story. Then we jump now to what we kind of see as the end of what we call the Christmas story. Uh, in chapter 2, 
Um, we'll start in verse uh, 25. It says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. Uh, beginning of the Christmas story, conclusion of what we call the Christmas story, God is highlighting these people that are living faithfully for him. What did it mean to live faithfully? Why are they being called righteous and devout? Because in Jewish culture, there were people like Simeon, like Zechariah, like Elizabeth, who were living their lives faithfully for the Lord, according to the law, and really trusting in the promises that God would make them, and he was going to keep them, and they were looking ahead with great joy and optimism for what God was still going to do. There were other Jews who were just um, culturally and politically frustrated. They wanted God to send Messiah, but they just wanted somebody to come in and kick butt and take names. They wanted, they wanted their world, their economics, their social, their culture. They wanted it all fixed. And they were frustrated that it was taking so long. This is Simeon. It says that he was looking forward to Israel's consolation and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, before we get to this, um, this part that Luke highlights about the Holy Spirit, um, we're going to see in Simeon's life that he shows an ability to have a healthy sense of optimism, spiritual optimism in his life. Now, I don't know if you're optimistic by nature. I'm not. Uh, I, I'm negative by nature. Uh, if you want someone to rain on your parade, call me. Um, I am ready with the rain all the time. If you want to know what is the, you know, what is the worst case scenario, I know it. I know it always. I don't even have to know your life situation. It just, when you start saying, hey, what do you think about this? My mind's like, oh, good, boom, boom, disaster, all this stuff, right? Like, that's, that's me. That's, that's kind of what I'm natured to do. The Holy Spirit has been nurturing me away from that and changing my nature through my, through my life with Christ. Um, but but that's kind of that's where my brain goes. Uh, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, um, I have had, uh, and this is a very first world problem, but I've had horrible weeks with my wardrobe. <laughs> the first week of this month, I show up in a sweater that clearly looks like something I pulled out of Mr. Rogers' closet. <laughs> last week, um, I was dressed exactly like the tablecloths. This week, I don't get up like, oh man, it's Sunday, yeah, let's go worship. I get up, look at my closet and go, well, this is depressing. I have no good options. So I just said, all right, what would just the most generic person in the world wear? Uh, this shirt and these pants. This is, this is what I chose, okay? I'm, I'm going safe. Because why? My brain jumps negative sometimes. But I believe that Scripture shows us that you and I, and this is a big statement for me because my nature goes there. Maybe yours does some. We can live with a healthy, gospel-centered, spirit-led optimism. And, and I believe here's how we're going to see it from Simeon. Um, number one, um, it, it starts with our faithfulness. Um, we won't end up optimistic um, magically if we choose to live away from God. Uh, our spiritual optimism is anchored in what God uh, can and will do. So our, that, that requires and that needs our faithful service, our faithful living. In addition to that, Simeon, we're getting ready to find out, Simeon anchored into the promises of God, the promises that God made him. And he had healthy expectations and healthy understanding of what that meant as he looked towards the future. So if we as believers, I think we'll see it in Simeon's life and we'll see it in our own lives, if we, can, if we live faithfully, if we really learn God's promises and anchor our hope in those, and we have a healthy expectation, understanding about what those promises mean, and ultimately what will come out of them, we will be able to live really sincerely, truly, with a spirit-led, healthy optimism in our life. 
Now, here's something else that Luke has inspired in the details to drop in here. It says that the Holy Spirit was, was on him. It had been revealed to him, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. Now, this is, again, it's in the details with Luke. Um, he drops us a really great seed that he really needs um, planted in our hearts. And this is something that, that Jesus, I believe, just wants to kind of water and start growing in us. Um, we show up after this story. Uh, we, we live in what we call the age of grace. We are, we are after Jesus has died and resurrected. So we live in salvation, meaning in our salvation, we have the Holy Spirit in us and dwelling us. They're with us all the time, not ever leaving us. Sealing our salvation and holding that. Now, we know because the Spirit is in us, we look to the, the Word of the Lord and we look to our lives and what God is doing around us as we are going to be led by the Spirit. We're going to hear His voice. He's going to take what we know about God's Word and put that in our hearts, connect those dots, and lead us to the right kind of decisions. Now, before Jesus on earth, we see throughout the Old Testament and coming into this time, the Holy Spirit consistently still, God is He's always consistent. He works the same but there is a uniqueness to the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament and up to this point, the Holy Spirit would come on and dwell in people for a period of time, but not forever. Because the forever comes with the relationship that we have through grace in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit still works consistently. So let's look at what, how the Holy Spirit was working in the life of Simeon and understand what that means for us. Number one, Holy Spirit was present. Just because the Holy Spirit is present means that you have access to hear and know the voice of God. Now, outside of salvation, we don't have that possibility. But we have the Holy Spirit's presence. And when the Holy Spirit is present, what he's wanting to do is what he did for Simeon. He wants to reveal. We talked about um, hearing and seeing last week. You could summarize both of those two things, hearing and seeing, as a revealing. We talked about how we hear first, we hear God's word, and then he starts to open our eyes to see what all he's doing and what all he means by that. It's how we enter into our relationship with God and salvation. It's how he continues working in our life following that. So Holy Spirit was present. He revealed to Simeon a promise. And then the Holy Spirit guided him to be able to see that promise fulfilled. If you know that God has, has made a promise that pertains to your life, if you know that God has spoken to you a specific way, the way you have confidence is with that being from God, you won't have to go and search for it. He'll guide you to it. Now that involves us living faithfully, but he'll guide you to it. Don't, don't worry about missing it. He'll guide you. Now, as we see Simeon with that just nugget of truth, just to kind of let that settle in, this is what the Holy Spirit guided him into. He literally guided him into the fulfillment of the promise. Seeing baby Jesus, the Messiah, it says that the Holy Spirit led him, guided by the Holy Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law. Simeon took him up in his arms, praising God, and said, Now, Master, you may dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed. This is Mary and Joseph. They were amazed at what, he, what uh, was being said about him. Then Simeon 
blessed him and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause, many, to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a church environment, um, but there are awkward baby moments in church. Um, if, you, if you see new moms going around in the sanctuary, walking through the hallways, um, we have all kinds of amazing developments in baby gear. Uh, sometimes I see a baby carrier come in like used to. You remember, you would actually have to take the child out of a seat out of the car. Now the seat just comes in with you. And you carry it around, and it's got 17 bubbles inside of it. It's all separate zippers and locks and, and, and combinations and passcodes and everything to be able to get to the baby. Because why? Um, it, it's not because moms are just too nervous. It, it's because when a new mom and, and, and a dad come in with a baby, and, and, they, and they look at this beautiful church family they're a part of, they don't see all the smiling faces. They don't see all the warm hugs. Uh, what they see is the nasty, disgusting germs that are all over us. And the fact that we will come up while we're eating a bagel from the back, lick, 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 cute baby. That's disgusting. I don't want you to lick your fingers and touch me, and I'm a grown-up. We will sneeze. We will sit right. I mean, this is like church people. Achoo! Good to see you. Ew! No! Like, that's not Jesus, that's germs. You know what my favorite one, though, is? The belly touchers. You know what belly touchers are? When a, woman, when a woman gets about this pregnant, or maybe you feel this pregnant, and people come up and they're like, oh. Why is that okay? When else is that appropriate? We don't do it, guys. I'll tell you what, let's field test it. Next week's Christmas, there'll be a lot of people that'll be here that aren't here this Sunday. When you see them, especially a grown man, just walk up to him and go, oh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> see how it goes for you, right? Because if it's appropriate, it ought to be widespread. But it's not. It's not cool. These awkward baby moments in church. But I want you to think about this for a second. So you got Mary and Joseph walking in. Now, big difference for them, though, it's not about keeping the baby clean and healthy. Um, this is a pregnancy that started with more joy and more drama than any other pregnancy in the history of this world. You have a teenage girl who, while she hasn't had a sexual relationship with a man, still knows how babies are made. She's heard people talk about people, and she knows that if she goes out in public and tries to sell people on the fact that this is God's baby. That's not going to go over real well. That's not going to be very believable. You got Joseph who, he's just really taken abuse, probably even within his own family, by just staying with her. So when they go into the, to the temple, because that's what they're supposed to do, it's this, it's this law-driven religious process, and they're there to do their thing, all of a sudden Simeon, Older guy from the congregation, he just does a total baby snatch. Just, whip, just picks the baby up in his arms and just starts talking about all this stuff that just amazes Mary and Joseph. Because remember from them, they, they are young, anxious hearts that in very unique moments like this get reassurance from God that he is doing something with this child. And, and Simeon is ecstatic. He's ecstatic. 
because he's been guided by the Holy Spirit at this moment. He, he trusts in the promise of God, and he's looking at this baby. Now, now if, if you're looking for a Messiah, if you're the average Jew looking for a Messiah, you aren't looking for a baby, especially from this, from this couple and from the town that he was born in, the town he's from. You're not looking for a baby like that. You want someone strong, authoritative, and ready to take charge. You know what one of the great byproducts of, of a good, healthy spiritual optimism is? When, when you do see evidence and you see the thing that God is doing, you don't judge it. I found that I don't judge it so much in, in my context of what I think it ought to look like, but I just receive it for what he's doing and find joy in that. Because judging things for what we think they ought to be is a slippery slope for us as Christians. And he's, he's, going, he's going crazy. And remember, his optimism. What's his optimism? He's walked faithfully with the Lord. right? Like, so he's had to draw close to him. He's had to know what God says, why he says it, and he, he needs to know what his part of that is. And not only did he walk closely with the Lord, but, but he found his hope in it. He believed that God was going to not let him die before he saw the Messiah. And when the Holy Spirit guided him to that moment, judgment was out of his mind. He saw the promise fulfilled. And he understood what really Messiah meant. So he was able to have joy when the news wasn't all fantastic. If you really listen to what he says, it's like, awesome, this is a beautiful baby. God, you can, you can kill me now. Mary and Joseph were like, well, can you not drop him if you drop dead? And after that, he, he looks at Mary, this young mom, and he's like, man, this is incredible. Sweetheart, your heart is going to hurt. Because people are not going to accept him like they should, but, but what he's going to do is going to be for everybody. This is absolutely everything God promised. And, and, and there, will people that, there will be people that will have to just kind of trip over themselves because of their hard heart so others know that they can clearly believe in him. And he's going to draw some lines. Those lines are going to be clear, but when those lines are clear, people know what it means to, to know Jesus and be saved. And he's at peace. He's absolutely at peace. Remember we talked about this. That's, that's what the abundant life is. is the peace, the joy. Now coming out of this interaction, we have a lady here that we hear a similar age reference about that we heard from Zechariah. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years. She was well along in years. We heard that compliment already. But the, the detailed driven part of Luke kind of takes over for just a second. Having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So they got married. Um, they were together for seven years. And at seven years, he, he passed away. She became a widow. It was not uncommon for girls in that culture to get married at, at 13 or 14. So let's just go with 13 for even numbers. 13, seven years, she's 20. And was a widow for 84 years. That puts her at a conservative 104. I guess that's the definition of well along in years. So she did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, at the moment, she, she heard Simeon say this. She saw what happened. At that moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Why the details? Do you see what I'm saying? Luke is so intentional to talk about the, the, the age of these folks and how old they were and, and, and the life that they lived. 
to show that they were this faithful group that Jesus was talking about when he said, in, when we read in Matthew um, during the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to just, to just say that these people lived a worthless and, and useless life. I came to fulfill all of it. I'm still doing a work. Nobody here was left behind. I love these people and I'm continuing what I'm doing for the whole world. He shows us these beautiful faces, these beautiful people. I want you to think about Anna for a second. Think about the spiritual discipline in her life. It, her reputation was, was grounded in two things, fasting and prayer. We, we kind of get prayer, right? Like we, we know that, that this to be known so clearly as a, a woman that, that, that prays, she had to constantly be in prayer for others, for herself, just to make her relationship right with God, to hear from God, to get the things that her heart desired. She, she must have been somebody that did that constantly. But not only did she pray, but she also had the spiritual discipline of fasting. Fasting is set aside, setting aside the things that we want, the things that would serve us the most, so that we can hear from God and know what He says and get the vision that He wants us to have, to hear His voice that He wants us to hear so badly. This is what she was known for. And she did this for a while. She wasn't the crazy single church lady that couldn't find another man. Their culture took care of widows. There were things within their law that, made, that would have made sure that she didn't just go destitute without everything she needed. This was her dedication to the Lord. This is what she knew she needed to do to hear from Him and have others in her life see God work. So she walked faithfully. She trusted in the promises of God. She, she put her life on the line for it. She, she backed up what she said with what she did. And in the end, judgment was off. She saw the baby. She just started talking to people that she connected with. They were looking for the Lord too. And in that, and in her great joy, she saw it. She had a realistic expectation too. She knew that this was going to happen after her lifespan. She just trusted God. And this morning, I... Really, my heart for this whole month, what I really believe that God has not just put on my heart, but what he's called us to, is to really look for joy, look for hope, the hope we needed in Jesus. All of these folks didn't know that Jesus was on his way. They didn't call it Christmas time. They didn't realize that they were going to be what we would call the Christmas story. For some of these folks, faithful, living a long life, we see amazing, tangible examples of what healthy optimism looks like which for some of us is something we need desperately to look out in hope so what does it take to live faithfully to know and trust the promises of God pull judgment back from those so that as those promises get fulfilled in our life they're not just the hope that we anchor ourselves into but it's sincerely the expectations that we have we get grounded in God's word to know how God works so that we can know how we can recognize him and sing it. I hope that you hear that you can have that level of optimism about everything in life. But I also hope that you hear that your faithfulness is not overlooked by God. If God didn't think their faithfulness was important, why surround the Christmas story of Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus with Zechariah, Elizabeth, Hannah, and Simeon. Why wrap it in that outer wrapping if he doesn't want us to know that your faithfulness, my faithfulness matters? 
God recognizes it. He wants to work in it and he wants to bless it and he wants to show his glory in it. So as you live for him, don't give up. Don't let Christianity become casual. Know that what you do for him has significance. It will frame what has happened. It will show you what is for now and it will build into your future. We don't have time as believers, no matter what our age is, to take time off. Your faithfulness matters. It is in the full awareness of God. Lastly, I want you to see hope in the details. It's not just your faithfulness and what you're doing right now, but God is fully aware of what has come behind and what is ahead. You're in His will, and He wants to work His will out in you. God is in control. Look how he wrote this whole story. Look what he did at the time he did it. This was the perfect time. He needed the Roman government in place for for a long list of reasons. Uh, He he needed people to understand that that they 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 could work and work and work, and they just couldn't get there on their own. He needed people to exhaust themselves with just trying, just like he lets us do sometimes. God's timing is perfect, even when we misjudge it. And he has something for you now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Um, my prayer is that you know really where you stand with God in a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with him, if you know that you're not saved, if you really question that, the message of Christmas is, is the good news of Jesus. It is a very clear gospel and it is very intentional and meant for you. That gospel says that, that in God's glorious long story that he was doing something. And it was about taking care of the sin problem that exists on this earth. And that if we believe in Jesus, that his his death was for our sin, it was a complete payment, that if we believe in him and pray to God for salvation, that he will give it to us. You know, many times in the Bible it talks about God as this great artist and, and that we, in fact, even are an element of his masterpiece. The other day, I was, I was driving, actually yesterday, I, I left here and went home for something and came back, and I was driving down McLeansville Road. As I drove down the road, I, I just stopped right in the middle of the road and looked at the sky at about 5.15 yesterday. If you were anywhere outside, um, across the sky, there were these incredible streaks of pink and purple and just real clear yellow and orange going across the sky. It was absolutely gorgeous. And as I thought about the word that we we're going to be in today, I, I looked at that. and was just in awe of what God had done. I said, God, that is, that is your creation. You are God of that creation. And, and, and to get those colors, for us to get those colors, we have to start with what God has already created for us, the, these three primary colors. And I was reminded right then, sometimes I look for greener pastures in my life, but sometimes I can't seem to find them just because God is still mixing the blue and the yellow for me. We want to jump and have that beautiful landscape all finished, all seen. And sometimes we forget even as God weaves as a reminder into his creation that he's painting a picture and and it takes time to see and to develop as he works in his time and his wisdom and his sovereignty. So trusting is a thing and it isn't always easy. But it is what he calls us to and what he helps us do. If you're ready to trust Jesus with your life and you want to be saved, you can pray a prayer like this. God, I know that I have sinned against you. And by Jesus and what he did for me, I can be saved. I claim his 
death and the grace that he offers. And God, I ask you to save me. Begin a new life in me. If you've prayed that prayer, then then you have begun a new kind of relationship with God. It is a continuation of what he already knew that you would do, but it it is a new chapter in life. And we would love to walk with you through it. If you've made a decision for Jesus today, you can come up while we close this service. You can come up to me. You can come up to Dale after this service. You can even take one of our blue cards, fill your name out, write your address, write your phone number, write your email address, something, and just check the box that I have become a Christian. We don't try to just promote coming up with a, with a given number every Sunday. We want to know where there's real life change, real commitment, because the voice of God is calling. You know when it's calling, and if it's calling you, it is time to answer. God, as we consider what you would have us do, Lord, help us to to lean in to your voice, to listen well, to act well and respond well. Lord, as, as we sing now, as we concentrate on what you would have us do, what, how you would have us to process and understand your word today. Lord, help your word sink deep into our soul and call us into a new life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing just for a quick moment and then we'll be closing our service.